always. For those that are left and remain, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20, please, this morning. Acts chapter 20. And we're picking up in verse 28 again and reading as we did last time we were looking at this two-part message. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And the word of God reads this. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you this morning for the privilege that it is to come together to worship you, to sing unto your name. And we thank you, Lord, for that theme that's run through our worship this morning about your faithfulness, Lord. And you are faithful. But, Lord, in the light of your faithfulness, we really have to look at our own faithfulness and say that we fall far short. And, Lord, we think about the church this morning, your body your bride. And Lord, be honest, I've been asked about this message, certainly from the first part. Why? I was so passionate about this. And my answer is simply this, is my heart's broke for what we've allowed into the church what we've tolerated and oftentimes what we've encouraged. Lord, the local church has been neglected and abused by the very people that are there to defend it. So Lord, I pray as we look at this this morning and these other aspects of enemies of the church that you would challenge us all Lord, that we would be protective over the church. That we would, Lord, see it as you see it. That it's precious unto you. Lord, may it be precious unto us. So this morning, Lord, again, I pray you would give me strength in my weakness. That you would help me to say everything that you would have me say. Lord, I don't want to be on a soapbox. Lord, I just want to preach from your word. Lord, I ask this morning that your heart would be my heart. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you would enable me and equip me to be a preacher of truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for those of you who can remember, I know that we've had a little week gap in between where we had our fellowship meal last, last weekend. But hopefully you can kind of remember the first five enemies at the church, of the church. I was laughing, Claire was telling me that um, for those that are in the crest, they have, have this on YouTube, so it's live streaming there. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I started this message last time round, they said we're going to talk about the ten enemies of the church. And the, the, the people in the crash were like, oh, ten points? How long is he going to be? And, and I got to point five. And, uh, you know, what have we gone there? Forty minutes or something like that? And they're like, he's only on point five. 
because you know it can be hell on earth in the crash if you've ever been in there it can be hard work but we only did five we're going to do the next five uh this morning so what were the enemies that we looked at last last time around number one false teaching to put that at number one what 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 i want you to see and there's these, these 10 enemies you, you know it's There is a little order to them, but the first and the last enemy are the bookends of what the problem is. And we're going to look at this, and it'll make more sense when we get to point 10. But point one was false teaching. Number two was worldliness. And we we showed uh, the video, didn't we, of the the Toy Story pastors that came out, set, lit up like a background from Toy Story. The pianist was playing the Toy Story music. Out they come. And this is their, their theme is they're at the movies. So the one's dressed up as Woody, the other one's dressed up as the Bo Peep or whoever it is. What is that? Yeah. It's worldliness. Yeah. It's worldliness. I no problem that if you want to use an illustration from the world in your sermon and make a spiritual application, that's fine. But coming in dressed up as Woody from Toy Story, that's kids' club material. And that's where it needs to stay. That's not for adults. Problem is, that's a church full of babies. It is a kids club, ultimately. Worldliness, legalism. What is legalism? Adding something to gospel truth. You must look a certain way. You must act a certain way, etc., etc. The gospel, if it's in you, will propel you to act and behave a certain way. The gospel will do that. The outside will not do it in here. It'll get people to conform for a season. And there's so many legalists out there. Um, Especially, unfortunately, those that proclaim to have a good biblical understanding often lean down this side of legalism. And it's wrong. Jesus spent his, his ministry speaking against it. It's a heart thing. It's not the act, it's the attitude. Not the act. Not what everybody else says, it's the attitude. And when God comes in and you surrender to him, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he leads you and guides you, you're doing things in the Spirit, that's, you've got it. God will change you. I'm not saying that God won't change you, he will. It's clear, by their fruit, you will know them. That's an evidence. But it's not from outward pressure, it's from inward change, as God does that within your heart. And he does change the way you think. And he does change the things you do, but it's through the Spirit. Legalism is trying to force that on people and conform them. Next, formalism. Again, what, what is that? People, as soon as I said that, I knew people were going to go, oh, he's talking about dress standards. Absolutely not. Again, formalism. It's looking the part, but inside there's nothing. There's nothing. Have a form of godliness, but yet nothing in there. Again, act and attitude. And there's churches like that, that, you know, especially if you've done any kind of um, missions work in the Eastern Europe, you go into Eastern Orthodoxy, that stuff, it's very formal. We all look at, but inside there's nothing happening. It's the next one, emotionalism. Again, I didn't, I said emotion is God-given. There should be emotion in church, but emotionalism is an enemy of the church. That, that spirit where we stir up people into emotional ecstasy and then manipulate them. The world does that. You can see it everywhere. <coughs> Pagan religion has been doing that for a long time. There's no room for emotionalism in the church. Emotion, yes. 
godly, just, righteous emotion is given for God. We're to love, we're to cry together, we're to laugh together. That's beautiful. But emotionalism, it's an enemy of the church. So that was the first five. Now we want to get into uh, number six. And number six is simply this, diversion. There's a little mistake on there, just for the eagle-eyed. It's Mark 16, verse 15, not verse 5. So why don't you turn there with me? Mark chapter 16. Should be familiar, I'm hoping. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Here's another iteration of the Great Commission. And he said unto him, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, Matthew phrases it a little differently. Teach. Preach, teach. It's the same thing. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So this is the command, right? This is the command to the early church. Go, preach, teach, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The problem is, for church, Christianity, Christendom, whatever you want to call it today, for a lot of those that claim the name that is above every name, the gospel is not the center of who they are and what they do. It's not the center. Instead, what they'll do is they'll focus on social work, social justice, feeding the poor, providing for those that are sick, all those sorts of things. Now, let me caveat what I'm saying here this morning so nobody comes away and says that Northern Irish pastor, he doesn't care about anybody. We are to do these things. These are important things, right? Because we follow our master. Who loved and gave and served and was compassionate and merciful upon those that were struggling. But we have to keep the gospel the main thing. Let me give you some examples. Just from history. Salvation Army. Salvation Army. Now, I can't speak for every individual um, Church of the Salvation Army every meeting place I can't speak for them but generally for that organisation what I can tell you now is what they're known for and what they do is social work and music music and social work they'll feed the poor they do it they do it well that's why they get donations you wonder I did a little bit of uh, charity work before I went into the pastorate and you know, they're one of the biggest donated to uh, groups. Uh, the Lifeboat Association, another one, Salvation Army. And people that are not saved will give to the Salvation Army. Why? Because they do good work. Social work. Now, the Salvation Army wasn't founded on that. It wasn't founded on that. William Booth. Uh, let, let me tell you a little bit about William Booth. He, he um, introduced this Darkest England scheme. And he, he, he'd seen the need... There was poverty. There was hardship. There was class divide. He's seen all that. But his real objective was to bring the gospel to the lost and in the process of them coming to Christ, helping them in their needs. The gospel was central to that mission. 
the surrounding items of the core idea, if you like, were help the poor be social. But it was gospel. Listen to what he said. He said, take a man from the filth and squalor of the slums, exchange his rags for decent clothing, move him from the stifling stench of the city tenement to a neat little cottage in the pure air of the country, put him on his feet economically where he can make a decent living for himself and his family, and then let him die in his sins, unsaved, and be lost forever at last. Really, it is not worthwhile, and I, for one, would not attempt it. It's William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. You go to the Salvation Army now, they'll say something like that, but it'll be round the other way around. What's happened? What's happened? They've been diverted from what they're to be about, their primary core, their primary objective, their DNA, the fabric of who they are. As the church, this is what's happened. We've been diverted. And here's the thing. You know, it's great to do social work and work with the poor, absolutely. But the world can do that and do that better oftentimes. What the world cannot do and what the world will not do is come to the sinner and say that they are dead in their sins, that they are in terrible trouble with the Holy God, and God in his love and his majesty and his mercy came down to save their very souls. The world's not going to tell that message. And that's fine. I don't expect the world to tell that message. My problem is when we have churches that aren't telling that message. That's the mission. That's the mission. With the YMCA, we were talking about this at the, the men's breakfast um, yesterday. YMCA started as a Christian organization, Young Men's Christian Association. I wouldn't associate anything biblical with it now. Not in a million years. Social work, yes. In fact, in fact, <laughs> when I took a trip to Israel, led a tour to Israel a couple of years ago, we were one of the things, for those of you who have been, one of the things you do, you go into the Sea of Galilee and they'll take you out in a kind of mock-up boat of around the time, fishing boat of the time. And you go out, Sea of Galilee, very, very beautiful, very, very stunning location. And, uh, you know, a bit of Christian music in the background. Just a nice reflective time. So we're on this boat, we're paying the, the guy whose boat it is, who, who's an Arab probably, um, just making merchandise, you know, off tourists. But anyway, it's his boat, so he's playing the music, and he's trying to play Christian songs. And some of the songs he was playing, there was a bit of an older crowd, I guess, in, in that. so I said to him, if you get anything more, just, just to mix it up a bit, because everybody has their own different styles of, of worship, don't they? If you get anything a little bit more traditional, so away he goes. Gets on his little thing. Here it comes. Why? Because he thought my MCA was Christian. Now, to my shame, one of my deacons starts dancing and starts doing it. But anyway, we laughed. So, but his association was Christian. Why MCA? What's happened? Diverted. Look at the other church denominations. You go wherever you want. They've been diverted. Politics. Social action. The mission is to tell people about Christ and Him crucified. 
Yes, we want to help people. Absolutely. But we have to have Christ and his gospel at the very top of what we do. Otherwise, we've been diverted. And unfortunately, in Christendom today, the enemy is an expert at just diverting people off, just gently off, getting them away from the thing that really matters. You can put clothes on somebody's back. You can feed them till they can be fed no more. But one day, they'll have to stand before God. Unless you give them spiritual truth, they are going to be destined to eternal hell. I wonder what that person would say to those that had the gospel but didn't share it. At that point, thank you for the food. Thank you for all the temporal things that you give me. That was much better than actually telling me something that would change my soul for an eternity. I don't think anybody would would ever say that. Diversion. Enemy of the church. Next one. Coldness. Turn to Revelation chapter number 2. Verse number 4. These are almost balancing. Because we don't want to be cold. In our message. But also in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Revelation chapter number 2. Verse number four. And we know these verses. We've gone through Revelation on Sunday evenings. But this is to the uh, seven churches of Asia Minor. Starts with the church at Ephesus. And there's a good report. But then verse four comes where the Lord himself says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat or something against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And we looked at this with with Ephesus, particularly. We looked at their history in terms of who pastored there and why this was so cutting and how that Jesus spoke to this church. But they were doing great things, but they had drifted. And they'd become a little cold in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Something had happened that had cooled their love. What had happened? Diversion, maybe. They just got sidetracked a little. And that happens. It happens. Time and time again, you know, in my own life, in others' lives, I see drifting, coldness starts to come in towards the things of God and the people of God. The love for the Savior is not what it once was. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians talk about or even confess that, that when they were saved how they were on fire for the Lord and how they, they loved him. Looking back in those times like it was a you know like England winning the World Cup nineteen sixty six. Why? Why is your time with Christ now not greater than the moment you got saved? Is there not more of him to know? Is there not more of him to have? Is he not eternally glorious and majestic? And the more we know of him, the more amazing he is. Isn't it not not the truth, saints? So why do we not love like we did? Because when you're born again, you enter into a love relationship. Turn to 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John. 
chapter 4, verse 19, says this, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. When you get saved, you enter into a love relationship with the one who has loved you from eternity past. We're to love him. We're to keep our love burning. But unfortunately, it grows cold. You know, we can look at real world examples. We can look at marriages. We can look at marriages where uh, the love doesn't grow. It, it, It wanes. And what happens? They drift. Less communication, you know, things are, are, are not, less, less fellowship, less intimacy. Drifting, drifting. But actually, you know, if a marriage is what it should be, your love should grow. I mean, I love Claire more now than I, than I loved her when I first met her. She grows on you, I've told, I've told her that. But you should. That's what it should be. It's the same with the Lord. It shouldn't, shouldn't start here and go there. It should go the other way. Closer to him. That's the call. But what's happened? We, we've turned into those that are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's what Paul talks about in Timothy. That the world, you know, it's bright lights and all it has is, has led us astray. And if we're honest, if we're honest... We have other loves. Other loves. There's a Tom O'Dell song that I like. It's called Another Love. And for believers, that's often the case. We came out of the house this morning and we were uh, driving down and there's a guy out there washing his car. He was probably washing his car yesterday. Yeah. I'm washing his car the day before. You know these people? After, any serial car washers here just before I go off on this? Okay. Right, so Claire washes her car once every five years, something like that. <laughs> is it every day. What's, what, what is it? He loves that car. He loves that car. Some of you came here this morning and have sung about your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've got another love in your life that takes your time. It's on a par with him. And that's never how it's to be. When Jesus says, love me and hate others, he means love them less. So it's okay to love others. But Christ has to be first and foremost. I wonder this morning, what's your car? What's your another love? We have to be guarded in this. Because when we start to give our love to others, before the Lord Jesus Christ, we naturally become colder towards him. So my challenge this morning is, is, is to us as a church, all of us, are we allowing other loves to lead us away from the love that we should have for the eternal one who saved our souls? Saved our souls. When coldness comes in, it's an enemy of the church. It's an enemy of the people of God. It's an enemy of the church of God when we manifest that attitude. When people come in here, I want them to know that we love the Lord Jesus Christ above all. Above all.
next enemy. Turn to 2 John, seeing you're not far away. 2 John. I was going to say chapter 2, but I'll not do that to you. <laughs> 2 John, verse 9. 2 John, verse number 9. Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Toleration is an enemy of the church. And the church tolerates far too many things. Again, a lot of this is driven by trying to get people on the seats. That we can't offend, that we can't challenge, we just want as many in the building as possible. But biblically, that doesn't stand up. You know, there's things that we're not to tolerate as a church. We're not to allow sinful practices into the church and, and um, venerate them like they're okay. We're just not to do it. Sin is an enemy of all the people of God. And we are to protect the church against it. That's one of the reasons that God instituted the church, is to allow us to be accountable. You know, how do you practice church discipline as given in in Matthew without the church? This law unto themselves is a nonsense. God has put these structures in place to keep us in place. Now, not legalism, but truth. Sin's not to be tolerated. You know, if you went home today, sat down for your Sunday lunch, started to sniff the air, and something burning, went into the kitchen, and there was a little fire on the cooker, would you say, oh, it's only a little fire, I'll leave it, I'll go and finish the rest of my dinner? Who's going to do that in their right mind? Anybody? No. The same as sin in the church can't tolerate it. If God says something's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. It's wrong. And we have to protect the church against it. Turn to Revelation chapter number 2 and, and verse 2. Again, dealing with the church of Ephesus. The Lord says, I know thy works and thy labour, and thy patience, and how that cannot bear them which are evil, and as a tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So here we have these false apostles. Now notice, do the church at Ephesus tolerate them? No. No. They call them out. They're liars, deceivers. They don't tolerate them. They don't welcome them in. You don't bring enemies in and welcome them when they're out to hurt you. Not at all. It's, it's a nonsense. But in the church today, we'll tolerate all these things. You know? I've heard it just all the time. People having affairs in the church. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. People living out of wedlock and wanting them to be um, sanctified by the church. It's not okay. 
Why? God said so. It's not my rules. It's what God said. But we tolerate it. Why? Because we want people to be in. News flash for you. And I know that you know this, but I want to remind you. The church is not for unsaved people. <laughs> the gospel is for unsaved people. The church is for the people of God. And once you become part of the family of God, you enter into the community of God, you become accountable. We hold each other accountable. There are structures in place so that we can help each other in a godly way to live as the God has called us to do. But if we tolerate these things, it's an enemy, absolute enemy of the church, and ultimately it'll destroy churches. We've seen it happen time and time and time again. Churches today that will have people in their pulpits preaching that are living ungodly lives up to all sorts. Good living on a Sunday and then fast living the rest of the week. People in the worship team will come up and sing and not saved. No evidence of fruit in their life. But they can sing. They can play a guitar We'll get them up and... I can't tolerate these things. This is the church of God. This is the body of Christ. He died to purchase us, to put us together. We have to protect the sanctity of the church. How do we do that? We don't tolerate sin. We speak the truth in love. In love. You know, we don't beat people down, but we have to say, you know, if things are wrong, things are wrong. But here's how you make them right. It's gospel truth. Toleration's an enemy. If we let a little in, it can corrupt a lot. Listen to this story from Dale Hayes. He, he writes of a Haitian pastor who's um, illustrating to his congregation the need for total commitment to God. And this is a kind of little parable that he put together. And this is what he said. He said, a certain man wanted to sell his house. Another man wanted to buy it, but because he was poor, he couldn't afford the full price. So after much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell him the house for half price with one stipulation, one single stipulation in the contract, that he would retain ownership of one small nail protruding out of a wall in the house. The man jumped at the deal bought the house. Several years later, the original owner came back for the house. He wanted to buy it. The new owner didn't want to sell. So the first owner went out, found the carcass of a dead dog, and he hung it from the single nail that he owned in that house. Soon the house became unlivable. The stench was unbearable, and the man was forced to sell the house to the original owner. The pastor's conclusion was simply this. If we leave the devil with even one small peg, he will return to hang his rotten garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's people. And that's the truth. Give it an inch, it will take a mile. That's true for us as a church body, it's true for us as individuals. If we allow sin in our lives, it will corrupt it will corrupt. So the church must not, let me say that again, must not and never 
tolerate that which is wrong. The church that fails to deal with sin in the right way will be destroyed by that very sin that they tolerate. It's an enemy of the church. Number nine, we're getting through them. Division, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and run into mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. God hates division in the church. He hates these things, and as we look at those lists, you can see how those things are divisive. And people that, that, that have this fruit in their life are divisive. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll have seen people like this. You've encountered, you'll have had them in the church. They're destructive. They're dangerous. And they're divisive. God hates a divided church. Turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. Let me question, ask you a question for those of you that um, you know, study the word. Was the church at Corinth a divided church? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 10. Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, verse 11. He tells us why he's told us that. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Paulus, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. What's happening? Clicks. Groupies. Foremen. Has this happened today in churches? Oh yes. It happened. Does it happen in Christendom? Yes, it does. It absolutely does. We live in the world of the celebrity pastor, the YouTube. I'm just getting old, I'm sorry. But technology, the more I look at it, the less I'm impressed. It has its advantages, but for a pastor today, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you wanted to protect your church from false teaching? All I had to do was make sure that no man got in this pulpit that didn't know the word of God. That's all I needed to do. Now, voices from everywhere. Everywhere. Pop-up theology. Save two minutes and know it all. Leading people astray everywhere out there. Clicks. Oh, he's a celebrity preacher. I'm going to listen to him. Not the local church. Not the poor old pastor. He's <laughs> getting paid in beans. <laughs> Same problem in the early church. Nothing new under the sun. Just different forms. 
The church at Corinth is divided and it's terrible. When it, you know, if you have a family that's at war, even in your own family, it's horrible, isn't it? Things are said, things are done, division's terrible. But it happens in the church. But when, when it's happening in the church, number one, we're not going to be about our mission because we're too focused in our infighting. We're not going to be able to fight the, the battle that we should be fighting because we're fighting a different battle. We're distracted. And that's what division does. And the enemy is an expert at bringing division. Expert at it. Why? Because it works. It works. Church splits. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. You go to America, you know, there's loads of churches. You start looking at any of the Baptist churches, you'll have First Baptist of such and such place. Second Baptist, which is down the road, isn't a church plant, it's a church split. Third Baptist of such and such, they've fallen out and on and on it goes. It's an enemy of the church and God hates this kind of thing. That's what he says in Proverbs. He hates it because it's so destructive. So we've got to protect and prevent and not allow this within our body. Final enemy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Final enemy. I started with false teachers. Going to end with a closed Bible. Because that's the biggest enemy of all. How do we go wrong in these things? Where do we go wrong in these things? The Bible's shut. And opinions are brought in. Trends, popular culture, whatever it may be. And it's all taken us away from what God would have. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Paul writes to Timothy, this young preacher. He says in verse 2, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. This is all part of this toleration stuff. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, as a pastor, I take particular comfort in that exhort with all long suffering. Sometimes I feel like I'm saying the same thing all the time and not getting any different results. All long suffering and doctrine. One of the greatest enemies of the church today is a church that does this. That it sits as a little ornament, but whenever the speaker gets up to tell the people what they want to hear, this gets put to the side. Maybe one verse gets pulled up, and off we go. And, and these people are great communicators. They're skilled at that. But listen, I don't want to hear from anybody that closes that book. I don't want part of a church that closes the book. This book is given for our instruction for our life. It's our filter. I said this before, when missionaries go into the field, the far-flung jungles, one of the things that they'll take with them is a water filter. And they'll take a water filter with them. Why? Not because there's not any water. I mean, there's plenty of water in the world, is there not? What is it? Two-thirds, 70%, something like that? The world's water. 
So why is there a water shortage? You can't drink it. It's not pure water. It's contaminated. Salt, whatever. So missionaries go in the field, they take a water purifier so that they can take the water that's muddy and murky and polluted and contaminated and not good for them in any way and they put it through their filter and out the other side becomes drinkable water. Church, this is our filter. Because the world is full of water that is contaminated. But Jesus gives the water of life, of truth. How do we get to a place where we know what's right and what's wrong. We open the word and we filter everything through it. And if we get to the end of our days and God is wrong, then it's on him. It's on him. But for us here and now, all we need to do is say, you know what? You know better. And as a church and as individuals, we need to open this book. We need to open this book. Why, why are we having the discussions? Why is it even a discussion about same-sex marriage being acceptable to God? I'll tell you why. That's why. That's why. Open this book. It's not acceptable to God. Why is worldliness in the church? Bible's closed. Bible's closed. Why are there churches now that can... Pull in 32,000 people every week. Because when this book gets opened, sharper than any two-edged sword, it's going to show us who we are and who God is. And when we see who we are in light of who God is, it's going to hurt. It's going to challenge. It's going to say, I'm not happy with how you're living your life. I want you to come on to me and live like I've called you to live. The day that church with 32,000 people starts to do this is when they start to lose those people. Why? Because they don't want to be accountable. They don't want to be called into God's truth. But the truth of God's word is like medicine. It doesn't always taste nice. But God's word is always good for us. It's always good for us. So those are the ten enemies of the church. False teaching, worldliness, legalism, formalism, emotionalism, diversion, coldness, toleration, division, and ultimately a closed Bible. Now, let me say this. I know we're not perfect. Because I know I'm not perfect. So I want us all to be challenged here in each one of these things. Are we allowing any of that in our own lives and then bringing it to church with us because we're all accountable to one another all of us all of us we want to stand upon the word of God we want to be pleasing and honouring to the Lord and the only way to do that is to stay faithful and true to what he said love the church like he loves it protect the church like he protects it Value the church like the Lord Jesus Christ values it. Keep the enemies from the door. Let's watch that we don't allow these things in.